final thing that the prayer team actually felt as they were praying this morning was that they have, there was a particular Bible passage which came up, and uh, they didn't know exactly what we would be talking about this morning, but interestingly, they quoted uh, the Isaiah prophecy from Isaiah 61, which just so happens to be the exact part of Luke's gospel that we are going to be studying this morning. And so I'm super expecting that God has got lots of things to say to us as we unpack his word together. I'm really grateful that this morning we have Gary LaFerla, who is going to be speaking. Uh, we love Gary. He's part of our community. He's been a pastor in many different contexts for very many years. Um, he's a man of God, um, has incredible stories of what God is doing in his own life, even right now. But before Gary comes up, we're going to have our reading from this morning, which is uh, quoting that Isaiah 61 chapter, uh, passage, but it's actually from Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or if you have it uh, on a device, please be uh, in Luke chapter 4, and it's up on the screens. A reading from Luke 4, 14 through 22. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Morning. How are you doing? It's good to hear you and see you today. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, Christopher, Chelsea, are you online? <laughs> Those are my kids, and they said that they would be online, so they're not kids anymore. Uh, Christopher's up in, uh, in uh, Central California, and Chelsea is uh, around, and so we'll see you. But, you know, I asked Ben, in any case, as we begin today, I asked Ben if he would pray for me. He said, what do you need? And he sent me a text uh, this week, and I said, please pray for me every day. Well, I have had probably one of the most horrendous weeks ever with spiritual warfare. So, Ben, you are an awesome prayer warrior. Uh, but one of the, and one of the things that I think you will be clapping. So I have a, we have a Zoom church that I do services uh, in the morning. It started with COVID. Uh, it's not for this church. It's really the Midwest. It's where we had pastored. And I do a 7 a.m., which is 10 a.m., and then I do an 8.30. And 
yesterday, talk about horrendous things, all the power, half the power went off in our house, half. And so we had to call, this is just one of many things this week. I was in Texas all week, I flew in really late, and then the power goes out, and we're trying to figure that out. And a guy comes, and he, he, he's shocking himself, but he goes, I can fix this. Well, it went off after he left, it went off partially anyway. And this morning, Debbie had called, and so Southern California Edison guy, I'm outside in the back porch doing the service, and this Edison guy shows up, and I go, what's the next interruption we're going to have? And so apparently he went up on the roof and he was listening, and afterwards, Debbie didn't miss a moment. She witnessed to him, and I came around. I thought they were in an argument over the, because we're not permitted, I don't think, for that panel. And uh, sure, sure enough, I walk around, and we start talking to the guy, and the guy accepts Christ like an hour ago, recommits himself to Christ, I should say. Is that crazy? And as he's praying, he starts to, you know, sort of tear up, and he puts his glasses on. So pray for Adrian, uh, that he might be able to come here. So, and thank you for your prayers, Ben. Pretty amazing. Uh, so with that, we are in Uh, one of the greatest passages of the entire Bible, believe it or not, and I have the privilege of talking about it with you today. Uh, In a moment, I'm going to show you something, a video clip, but before we do, why don't we pray? Lord, we just come before you and we pray that you would glorify your name and magnify today. May you speak to our hearts. May you do your will in our lives. And may you be with this church, with Ben and Laura, with all that are serving, with all of us here. May we be world changers. May you come and see us and visit us today. And Lord, may we be, as Jesus is, people that are anointed with your spirit to bring the gospel to the world. Keep us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us victory. And they all said? I have a clip to show you that opens up this uh, passage perfectly. And now, our reading from the prophets. The prophet Isaiah. Now, who is, who is our reader? Oh, yes, my turn. Today, Rabbi. Uh, <coughs> Isn't that Joseph's son? Yes. Joseph the carpenter. The carpenter. God rest his soul. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to give good tidings to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Today, in your hearing, the scriptures are fulfilled. Scriptures are fulfilled. Did he say fulfilled? But 
How can he dare to say such a thing? What do you mean? The prophecy you have read can only be fulfilled by the coming of the Messiah. Yes, right. By the coming of the kingdom of God. True. The kingdom of God comes not in a way foreseen by men. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven. Behold, is suddenly upon you. What? <laughs> Rabbi, take the scriptures away from him. He is a blasphemer. He defiles them by touching them. He shouldn't touch them with his unclean hands. <laughs> I've heard things about you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A prophet is never accepted in his own country. Who do you think you are? John, the prophet? You should be thrown out of this holy place. Get out of Get here. Get out of here. Blasphemer. Blasphemer? Blessed is he who is not ashamed of me. Take uh, this man out of here. Don't let him touch the holy scriptures. Clear him out, Rabbi. Today, in our hearing, the scriptures are fulfilled. Is that not awesome? You can clap. That's great. It's a great piece. And it gives the life setting of this section in a great way. The scriptures are fulfilled. And may the Lord give me the strength and the wisdom to speak to you as a humble servant today. There are three key poetic points to this particular passage that I'd like to share with you. And the title of my study this morning is Soul Hunter. These three key poetic points are as follows. As you see and saw Jesus there, no man-made laws, only pure religion, no pop theology, just sin forgiven, no other God but the Savior risen. And as we look at this passage today, as we look, I, I really love that movie clip because it helps us to understand clearly what Jesus did. He was a radical. What he did was radical. And in fact, we read actually in verse 20 of this passage, he closed the book, he gives it back to the attendant, he sits down. Actually, the movie doesn't capture that piece and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And at that moment, he says, today, these words have come to pass in your life. They've been fulfilled. The scripture has been fulfilled. Now, the temple reading consisted of the rabbi's ritual. There's a religious ritual. And it's called the haptorah. And it consists of 21 verses. You were not to read, if you came up, any less than three and any more than 21. Jesus stopped short at two. One reason, no doubt, was because he was quoting Isaiah 61, and there's a section that he quotes in Isaiah 61, which ends up, the next verse, of the vengeance of our God. In other words, if they didn't respond to him, there would be judgment, and in AD 70, there wasn't. If we don't respond to him as Gentiles, there will be judgment at the second coming, right? But the other thing is, is it completely broke with tradition. It broke their ritual. It was unusual. 
and he wanted to stop there for the good of the people, but at the same time, to get to the point. You see, Jesus continuously went against their tradition. The religion of Israel had been institutionalized and the ritualized, and they only wanted to be saved as a nation, but did not see their bankruptcy and the greater need for sin to be forgiven. The point, the rituals of Israel and the law of God became more important than God himself. They missed, completely missed, the message of God. And shortly after this moment, they cast him out of the temple and they intend to kill him by throwing him down an embankment. He escapes and of course, finally, they do crucify him. What happened in Israel has happened to us today. And it's best stated by looking at Isaiah chapter 58, which I'll read to you in a moment. But God excoriates or corrects the Israelites. He mocks them through Isaiah. And he talks about their fasting because they took pride in their fasting. And he says, Isaiah opens up and quoting the people's complaints of Israel, he says, why have we fasted, say they, and do not see? You do not see, God. Why have we afflicted our soul and you take no knowledge? Look, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all of your labors, God says. And he responds and he says, you fast for strife and contention, to strike with the fist of wickedness. You do not fast this day so as to make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I have chosen, the day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow his head? Is it to spread sackcloth under him and show everybody, in essence, that you are fasting? Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? And then God tells them what the fast should be. This is the fast I have chosen, to release the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, because they were financiers and they were putting the people under financial bondage. People were selling themselves into slavery to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Isn't it to distribute your bread to the hungry and to bring, the, bring to the poor who are cast out of your house? When you see the naked, you cover him and that you do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then the light shall break forth as the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. Then you shall call on the Lord and the Lord will answer, and you will sh shall cry, and he will say, here I am. A great darkness had fallen upon Israel because they became enamored with process and not purpose. The process of attending temple, the process of prayer, the process of reading. And this is a massive problem if I were to exaggerate, and I, for a fact, it's a major problem in America today because the church is dying. The statistics I will not bore you with, I've been doing this business for 40 years, but I will tell you this right now, that we're on the decline, and we're gonna end up as England, if we're not careful, with 2% going to church today where now some of the greatest cathedrals where J.C. Ryle was up in Liverpool, it's being changed into condos on the inside. We are, in, we are in danger of that happening to us when we exchange process for purpose. When we exchange, if you will, the imitation for the real. 
if we don't look in our hearts and do our own judgmental uh, approach every day in the word of God, we then can end up in the dark. And the dark can be a place where we need to be slapped and woken up. And this is a very, very important thing for us to understand. You see, if your main and only exposure to Christ is church attendance, you're in trouble. We're raising generations of people who only known Christ mainly from church, not from experience. For me, it was to go to London, to pray, to ask God who he was, and I listed every religion and I put Jesus Christ last. I even included Satanism. And by the next morning, eight hours after I prayed that prayer, somebody came to me and they said, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. I don't want him, I said. But over the next couple of years, I started looking at world religion. I started looking at the isms, at economics, at Marxism, at all of the various facets of philosophy. And what I came to find out is there's only one person that claimed to be God and raised from the dead. Nobody else did, and nobody else is as noted. And yet, I felt as I was reading, I hated the words that say, as I read the Bible, Jesus said, unless you forsake all and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And so, at that moment, I started to realize I've got to make a choice. Either Jesus is fraud or he's God. And if he's fraud, it's the greatest fraud perpetrated amongst man. And then after that, I gave up the things that I was doing one night and the next morning on a LA freeway, typical conversion story, the Holy Spirit hit me on the 10 freeway just between El Monte and Pasadena, right? And so, uh, or it would be El Monte and Montebello, right? And then God began to work in my life. I got to work and my boss who used to work for the H and DHL, saw me, he's from New York, he goes, LaFerla, what are you laughing about? This is work, cussed me out and said, go back to work. Not, not laughing, smiling about. Because God had touched my life and I knew it. That was the realism. Now to keep it fresh is what we want to talk about today. Because if you get into ritualism, if process overtakes purpose, the outcome is that you're going to be in the dark. A humorous story illustrates this well from World War II. There was a train with a number of passengers in it, four in this case, and they were going through a tunnel. And in the tiny compartment of this passenger train sat a young lieutenant in uniform. Next to him sat his commanding officer, a crusty old general. Across from him sat a beautiful young lady. Next to her was her grandmother. As the hours passed, an attraction developed between the young lieutenant and the young lady. They were laughing and talking and enjoying the trip when suddenly the train went through a long, dark tunnel. Midway through the darkness, the sound of a kiss was followed by the smack of a slap. As the train emerged from the tunnel, the four travelers looked at each other with a variety of expressions. The young lady was delighted that the lieutenant would kiss her at that moment, but puzzled as to why her grandmother would slap him. The grandmother was angry with the lieutenant that the lieutenant had the audacity to kiss her granddaughter, but grateful to the general who slapped the young man in line. The general was proud of his lieutenant for kissing the young lady, but confused and smarting from the slap of the young girl. The lieutenant was hardly able to contain the laughter within him, as he alone knew what had actually transpired in the tunnel. Under the cover of darkness, he had seized the moment to kiss the girl and slap the general. (laughs) Jesus took 
the opportunity to seize the moment. You saw it in that clip. And he seized the moment to do that, but they were in the dark. And I use that as a humorous illustration to capture your attention to ask you this question. Are you actually in the dark in your own religious system? Are you really fresh for Christ? Are you walking with him every day? Are you living for him in every way? That's the key because Jesus is the great I am. Secondly, we've now covered the first point, no man-made laws but only pure religion. Second under this heading of the soul hunter, no pop theology, just sin forgiven. Jesus, as we've seen now, says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, there are six components here. I'm going to go through them briefly, but they're very edifying. The first is to preach the gospel to the poor. Isaiah has it, from which Jesus is quoting in Isaiah 61, to the meek, which design the same persons and means such as are poor in spirit, are sensible of their spiritual poverty, have low and humble thoughts of themselves and their own righteousness, and seek to Christ for durable riches and true righteousness, and frankly acknowledge that all they have and are is owing to the grace of God. Now think about that. Generally speaking, these are the poor of the world who have but a small degree, perhaps, of, of uh, value in the world. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says that not many noble, not many weak. But I want you to note that they felt that they were impoverished spiritually. To these, the gospel or glad tidings of love, grace, and mercy in Christ for salvation were preached by him and in him in so clear a matter, with such power and authority as has never been preached since. But today we can partake of that, right? Secondly, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There are two components here in this word. The first is forgiven sin, and the second is life difficulties. Under sin forgiven, to give relief and comfort to persons burdened and distressed with a sense of guilt and power of their sins, and of the wrath of God to which they face. It's a metaphor taken from a surgeon binding up wounds. The primary thought is that of healing, or a healing bandage applied to a heart's wounds. It relates primarily to Christ's priestly office. Now listen carefully. His blood is the true expiation for our sin, and the procuring cause of pardon and guilt. In other words, He died on the cross, his blood was shed for you and me, and we are wounded, we're born in sin. And that sin nature is like an open festering wound. Have you ever had surgery? Have you ever had surgery with a spinal where you can actually see what the doctor is doing? Don't try it, I have. Um, And he put me to sleep. But this wound is open, you can feel the pain. I felt the doctor probing, he was a friend of mine, and he said, do you feel that? I said, yes. He goes, you're going out. (laughs) And he put me out. But as it was going in, I thought, this is what God sees in us. 
He sees us like this. We don't even know we're in the pain of sin. And this is where the Spirit of God awakens our sensibilities so that there he can heal the broken. The second part of this has to do with life difficulties. The brokenhearted are those who are deeply afflicted and distressed on any account. It may be captivity, oppression, maybe your job, maybe something you've grown up with in your family. Maybe you go through depression. Maybe you have been personally abused as a child, as a young person. Maybe you have spiritual oppression, the enemy. Whatever it is in your life, God has sent his son to heal the brokenhearted. Third, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To such who were captives of sin, Satan and the law, and as it were prisoners to them, shut up by them and in them and held fast there. Namely, liberty from the dominion and bondage of sin and Satan, of the world, of the flesh, from the slavish, tormenting fear of death and hell. And those whom Jesus, who is exalted to be a prince as well as a savior, makes free, are free indeed. Now, you might say, well, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in God. But you know, you can be a slave to sin as a believer. Remember reading Romans chapter 7, Paul's entire testimony about his own life. Oh, wretched man that, that I am, who shall be, deliver me from this body of death? I do those things I don't want to do. Those things I don't want to do, I do. Can you relate with me that that's your daily struggle? that I want to go to that website, that social media site, that buy site to buy, that when I'm with other people, I want to make sure that my reputation is here in business, or I may get caught up in gossip. What is it that is plaguing you? The wanting to be popular even here from a pulpit, it's easy, and I went through many of this gyration in the years of ministry, to be somebody, to have a church of reputation, to be the better radio program. That people like when pastors confess, don't they, Ben? But, uh, but, but they don't want to hear their own, so think about yourself. I'm being transparent. And in your heart, you have to be transparent as well. Recovery of sight to the blind, not only physically, but most importantly, spiritually. You see, Jesus healed the blind man born, if you remember, the man that was born blind. And I think that's probably the best interpretation of this because it says the recovery of the sight to the blind. Well, Jesus also healed the blind. But there was a deeper meaning, and if you re read on your own, Today, John chapter 9, the blind man that he healed was interrogated by the Pharisees because they were jealous of Christ's popularity. And when this blind man said, I don't know who healed me, but it's amazing who was ever healed. It must be, he must be God. So the Pharisees threw him out. They brought his parents in. The parents were afraid of getting kicked out of the temple. And so they weren't going to say that Jesus was the one who healed them. 
and they just did, they just verified to the Pharisees that in fact he was born blind and now he saw. So they brought the guy back in, this young man back in, who was born blind and now sees. And they asked him again and they said, tell us who healed you. And the man says, listen, do you want to hear this again? Do you want to be his disciples? And they said, you were born in sin and they cast him out into the street and rejected him and he was let out of the temple. He was kicked out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found the man and he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? He replied, tell me so that I may believe in him. You have already seen him, Jesus said. He is the one speaking with you. Lord, I believed, he says, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus declared, for judgment I have come into this world. And of course, the blind man is here. The people are around him. The Pharisees are there, just like in the movie clip, except he's outside. And he stands up and he says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and they asked, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But since you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Not only physical blindness, but spiritual blindness, Jesus comes to save us for. Fifth, to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Verse 18. The word bruised here or oppressed, it's bruised or oppressed, evidently has the same general signification as brokenhearted or contrite, but it's a little bit different. It emphasizes a little bit more oomph. It means that those who are pressed down by great calamity or whose hearts are pressed or bruised by the consciousness of sin. C.H. Spurgeon of the 1800s tells a story when he was a kid and he, he was a, in a generation of multiple pastors. His father brought him to a house of a woman who always served them a wonderful tea. And whenever he came there, she was dressed in black there in England. And he asked his father, why is she dressed in black? And he says, because she feels that she has committed the unpardonable sin. And so for the majority of her life, she dressed in black. Now, she may have had let's just say, a difficulty accepting certain things. Let's just go that far. But she would be an example of somebody who felt bruised or pressed by the, uh, the, the sin. The Greek word actually is to set free those who are oppressed, but it also means to break in pieces or to crush, break, or shatter. Oppressed means to break like that. And then sixth, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The thought here is that of the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. The 50th year when the trumpet was blown and through the whole land proclamation was made of the liberty of Hebrew slaves, of the remission of debts, and of the restoration of possession to their original families. The phrase the acceptable year means the time when it would be acceptable to God to proclaim such a message or agreeable to him under the gospel, to free the world from spiritual bondage and to forgive their sins. The application here is clear. It's not motivational speaking. It's not prosperity theology. It's not a liberal view of scripture. It's not even political correctness. Only God and his word can heal from sin. That's it. And it's so simple. 
The problem is, is that we have today, as I list in my business for the last 15 years, travel around the United States, about 100 flights a year, seen people from New York to LA, and I've done this internationally prior. A lot of the most difficult cases in business are people that claim to be Christians. That's right. Who, when we look at their production and how they're working, they're busier preaching than they are producing. And I bet you probably run into people just like that. And that's my, I want my witness to be my life. And then on off time, we can do the rest. We have an amazing opportunity to seek the Lord. And only repentance can satisfy the Savior's requirement. It's used the word at least 60 times in the New Testament to acknowledge sin, sorrow for sin, change from sin. A thorough change of man's heart regarding sin and confession and repentance when the love of sin is cast out and change takes place. That's what Jesus wanted to do. And so I'm going to actually close this message early with a story and a close piece. And just the second point. Years ago, I uh, was pastoring in the Midwest and a call came into the office from a young lady and she said, my brother has... Uh, He's in the hospital, and he's been in a coma for four months. He was riding a motorcycle at about 70 miles an hour. Uh, apparently, he was inebriated or on drugs, and the motorcycle hit the curb, and his body flew about 40 or 50 feet into a chain-link fence. His head, she said, is the size of a watermelon. And he's been in a coma, and my parents have given up on him. And frankly, we had somebody pray early on, but as a last-ditch effort, I heard about you from a friend who goes to your church or a friend of a friend, and I was wondering if you would go visit. So it's in Ohio. It's winter. It's probably 10 degrees outside, overcast, looking very depressing area of Ohio. And I go into this major hospital to the fifth floor, and when I get to the floor... I've never been to a floor like this. It's a floor with all comatose victims. The floor, it's about 60 degrees, and it's silent. And there's just one nurse, and she comes up to me and said, hey, I'm here to see, we'll call his name Jason. And she goes, who? And I gave the name, and she looks at her board. She goes, oh, yeah, literally, almost laughing. He's way out in the corner. In other words, he's on his way out. Uh, you could go ahead and talk to him if you want. And she left. So I show up at this suite, and I walk in, and it is as his sister described. And I walk up, and I grab his hand, and it's frozen. And so I begin to talk to him. Um, and in faith, which I didn't have much of, Begin to tell him, look, God can change your life. In fact, I gave him the gospel just as you've been hearing the gospel this morning. And I talked to him about the gospel briefly. And I said, you know, God can work. I'm here to pray for your healing. But the first thing that you need, Jason, is you need to be forgiven for your sin. Because if you don't make it through this, there's a heaven and there's a hell. So I prayed for him 
told him the gospel, and then I asked him, as his lifeless body was there, and he was, all you could hear is the rhythm of the, uh, the machine that was keeping him breathing, sw- sweeping up and down. And it was silent everywhere else. I asked him if he would pray for me, pray with me. And I led him in a prayer to accept Christ. At which point, I looked at him and I said, will you, Jason, if you heard me, will you move your eyelid? Nothing. If you heard me, can you move your finger? Nothing. Although I pretended I saw, I walked out about 15 feet after I said goodbye. The nurse wasn't even there. I just left completely discouraged. I thought, I just feigned seeing anything move, and in fact, nothing did move. I'm just hoping that something would happen. I prayed for so many people. I've, I've told so many people about Christ. So little seems to happen in my life. Well, anyway, that was just another prayer meeting. Years later, um, I was finishing a church service in that same city, about two years later, three, and At the end of the service, people come up to ask questions, and there was a few people, and then there was this guy, and he comes up and he says, hey, uh, are you Pastor Gary LaFerle? He's about, you know, six foot two. And I said, yes, I am. Uh, A lady called you a couple of years ago about a guy that got in a motorcycle accident, Um, and I said, I don't remember. And so he explains the situation. I said, oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I didn't ever hear from her again. And he looks down at me and he goes, well, I've made a mistake, Gary. Um, actually, it's been two years, but I am that guy. And when you were praying for me and talking to me, I heard everything you said. And I committed myself to Christ. And four months later... Or six months later, I got out of the hospital in another year of rehab. Don't get caught on your back having God needing to get ahead or getting your attention. Because God is in the process and wants to do miracles. And the reason I left full-time ministry is because I could never reach men. Because men don't care about guys that preach from the pulpit. I know. I preach for many on five continents. Men actually want to see you face to face. Men are not believers. That's why the church is filling up with ladies. That's why if you look at the stats in America, over 60% of the church are ladies. And it's increasing to 70. And so I I want to challenge you guys today to no longer focus on your motorcycle riding right? To no longer focus on your hobbies, to no longer focus on your money, to no longer worry about X. Because God wants you to be like Jason. He's calling you to do that very thing. And if our hearts as men or women are soft and weak, or we're in between, or we're too caught up with the things of this world, remember, no pop theology, just pure religion. That's what God wants for us. No pop theology, just sin forgiven. And God will take care of the remaining parts of your life. He will do it for you.
What are you suffering today? Are you in a coma? You might be because you're thinking this is too boring to listen to. But on the other hand, you're not where Jason was. And God wants to resurrect your life even where you're at today. Like Adrian, our Southern California Edison guy. Right? Who said, I know God, but I have walked away from the faith. And as I was praying there, Debbie witnessing to him, and I prayed there, he was up on our balcony area, coming down from the roof, and he put his glasses on because he started to tear up. That's what God is asking. A hundred percent. Nothing more. Just be as sold out to this as you are to sports. This as you are to anything. Let it be number one. Make this your all, your passion, your hobby, your career, your investment. Go all for Jesus because he is the way. Life is short. Tomorrow it's over. Will you do it is the question. Let me close this deal right now for you and with you as we pray together. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would glorify your name and magnify it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for each person that is here. Some are brokenhearted. Some are going through difficulty. Some are crushed. Some, Lord, are needing forgiveness. Some have a lukewarm relationship and they need their eyes to be washed as it says in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. Some are lukewarm. Some are needing a miracle today, Lord. Some need a miracle much like Jason needs a miracle or needed one. And today I ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in their lives and that you would glorify your name in and through them. And so today... You may know Christ, but I'm going to actually challenge you to pray with me, number one, so that you would be 100% for Christ. So let's pray for those that know Christ right now. And you can pray, you can repeat with me. Father, I come before you, and I ask that you would commit me to you, 100%. Give me strength. Give me guidance for your glory, your power, and your purpose. In Jesus' name. And then there may be somebody here that has not committed their life to Christ. And like Adrian on our porch this day, or Jason, who was in a coma, that today, right now, you're you have not, you've flirted with Christ, you've had religion, but you haven't had pure religion. You've had ritual, you've grown up in the church, but it's not really all there for you. And if that's the case, God wants to close a deal with you today. And so I'm going to ask that he would, you would make that commitment just where you're seated. You can start praying as I did in 1981 in London. Turns out at the church that was the founding church for this church, apparently, God has his way of doing great works, but you've got to make that step of faith. So as I close, I would like you to pray with me. A simple prayer. Prepare your heart now and repeat after me if you will. Father, I come before you. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
I ask forgiveness for my sins. Please baptize me with your Holy Spirit and give me eternal life. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand where you're with me today? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God wants to do a work in your life. You take the step, he'll do the rest. And that's a guarantee. If you're a believer, take the step of faith. Stop crumbling under the cross. Get up. Jesus is going to say, pat you on the back and say, go. Step in faith. Complete the Great Commission. If you made that commitment this morning, you prayed that prayer, I want you to um, ask God to work in your life. Somebody here can help you. You can come and see me after. You can see Pastor Ben especially. It's his church where he pastors or anybody. But let God work in your life. We praise you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done already. Thank you, Pastor Ben, for having me today and the board and everybody else. God bless you. Let's see you soon.